going to wave your hand there and we'll have somebody in the back pass them out. Psalm 119. And we call our series the treatise on God's Word because what the psalmist is doing is he is going to give us 176 two-phrase verses at different ways to look at, handle, experience, be affected by the Word of God. So, 176 times 2 is 352, I believe it is. Any mathematicians out there to check that? I think that's right. Okay, I'm getting yes. Different ways to look at God's Word. Now, what happens when we get into something that long? We get lost. Right? Oh, it's just repeating itself. I want to challenge you. The, the psalmist does not repeat himself. He will say certain things over, but he will do it because of another emphasis. And again, what we're doing here is Hebrew poetry does not rhyme words. It rhymes thoughts. So it will take thoughts and build one upon the other. It will take thoughts and bounce them against each other. It will contrast, and, and it will use every different device known to the ingenuity of man underneath the influence of the Holy Spirit of God to let us know that how God's Word is supposed to affect our lives. Most people, I would say, most people that have ever lived in human history have been religious. Would you agree with me on that? I mean, most people have been involved in one type of religion or another uh, we had a young man visit our church several years ago. He had been baptized in 32 different churches. Not different baptistries of the same. 32 different churches as a member before he came here. And then he was several more after here. And, and he's still moving as far as I know. That's religion. But real religion ought to affect the way you live. Real religion ought to be more than just a suit of clothes you put on so you look good on Sunday. Amen? And we have noticed the movement of the psalmist as he's gone through the different sets of eight verses, the different strophes, if you want to use that word. And we've gotten here to number six, the vow strophe. And all of a sudden, the... the Action is changing, and, and it's especially interesting as we go back to the Daleth, or verse 25, he's saying, my soul cleaveth to the dust. I've been knocked down. I think I'm going to stay here a while. That's what cleaveth to the dust means. It means I like where I'm at. But then he ends that by saying, I will run. I'm not running right now. I'm flat on my face. But there's coming a day when I'm going to run, and we talked about this last week. When you are in tragedy, when things are going really bad in your life, can I ask you who is the first one in your thoughts and on your heart? Me. Isn't that true? 
Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Now, that just simply isn't true. But the psalmist moves from talking about himself in, ver in verses 25 through 32 to talking to the Lord about himself in verses 33 through uh, 40. But now he makes a different move. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to sing that last hymn. You see, a true believer in the Word of God has something no one else has. I have a real hope of future good. It's not just heaven pie in the sky by and by. It's not just I hope things are going to turn out. I remember street preaching and making the statement, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. And someone was walking by and heard that. They said, you can't know that. I said, the Word of God tells me. I believe it because of what the Bible says. Every time we get, we, I get together with a group of preachers, it just seems that I hear about another pastor who's no longer a pastor. And that's terrifying. And... I began to think about, boy, like the disciples when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, what did they say? Is it me, Lord? Am I the one that's going to do it? The one that had already agreed to do it, he wasn't saying much, was he? But you know what? Jesus already had told Peter, listen, was going to tell Peter in just a few minutes, he said, the devil's desired to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you, you're going to make it. Let me tell you, Peter didn't feel like he had made it when he heard the cock crowing the next morning, now did he? You know what? Paul didn't feel like he was going to make it when the entire city of Ephesus was in an uproar. But he's the one that wrote the Philippians from the first time in prison saying, he which hath begun a good work in you is going to continue it even until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, there's an expectation, a hope, that what is happening today is going to bear fruit in the future. Amen? How many of you believe that? If I will do right today, God is going to change what's going to go on in my life down the road. Now, I want to challenge you. I want to warn you as a preacher, if you're doing wrong today, guess what? That's going to come back and haunt you too. The Bible says that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We often preach that negatively, but I, I don't believe that the primary understanding needs to be a negative one. Because God is not a God who wants to do bad. He's not a God who looks forward to pressing the button and watching that little person go, poof, I got him, stepped out. Along. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God that wants to do good. He wants to see his people move forward. He wants to see you have victory over sin in your life. Amen?
He wants to see you lose your temper the right way. You know how you lose your temper the right way? It doesn't show up again. Amen? See, people lose their temper all the time, but they keep finding that thing. If you could just lose it and be gone, done with it, wouldn't you be so much better off? God wants to see those things happen in our life. And that's why we get down to verse 45 where we left off last week. And you've got to pray for me. I want to spend all night tonight on verse 45 again, but I'm going to really try not to. Let's start verse, verse 41. Let's read the entire eight verses, then we'll dig in. It says, Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation, according to thy word. Now here's where the psalmist is saying, God, this is what I'm going to do, but this is why. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. Who can say that? Except someone that has the Spirit of God actively working in their soul. Amen. Verse 45, where we're going to begin in just a few minutes. And I will walk at liberty for I seek thy precepts. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in thy commandments which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments which I have loved. And I will meditate in thy statutes. We see the psalmist taking the next step, a step that many Christians ought to get to, but they never do. We ought to do right as a Christian. Why? Because God works in us. If you do right because of your own efforts or your own abilities, if you do right because you want people to think good things about you, let me tell you, you're going to run out of the ability to do right. It's just not going to continue. If you will do right because God is working in you, then you're going to have the ability to continue doing right because you're not depending on you you're depending on what God is doing in your life could we say amen to that are you awake tonight has the humidity put everybody to sleep you see verse 45 says and I will walk at liberty now, how many of you have heard somebody say this? I'm tired of all the rules. I'm tired of all the things my parents make me do. I'm going to get away from home. I'm going to be free. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to join the Marine Corps. <laughs> and you know what? People that have a problem regulating themselves, the Marine Corps is pretty good for it. Because you don't get to think. You just do what you're told. Because if you take time to think about it, uh, 
Well, they can't do what they used to do when they used to do these things, but uh, they'll, they'll make you wish you'd never taken time to stop and think about it. Let me just tell you that. Yet, you meet that person that has graduated boot camp, and they're standing up straight. Now, I mean, that uniform is just on just right, and those buttons are polished, and those shoes are shining, and... And you say, do you like being told everything to do? Oh, I'm so glad I'm free now. <laughs> no, buddy, you still got four years of your hitch left. You're not free. Oh, yes. Uh, a transformation has happened, hadn't it? The worst thing you can do to a young person, a teenager, is let them do whatever they want. Amen, brother? And sometimes, as parents, we wonder, why do they push so hard against the boundaries? Well, it's real simple. They want to see if they're real. And you know what often they find out? Mom and dad are willing to give up before they are. And now that teenager, now that young person is unprotected. I've promised my children, by God's grace, I'm going to be the meanest dad that's ever been until they're collecting Social Security. Then I'll take a break. Amen? Why? Because it's in those boundaries we find our protection. It's in the meaning of the word no, meaning no, that we find our freedom. You see, the greatest freedom is not to do whatever you want to do. How many of you were actually given that freedom for a while in your life? You'd do whatever you wanted to do. How long were you happy? Day, week, couple of months? How long did it take for you to run out of things that you could figure out that you had to do? And then you started doing the same old rotten things your parents made you do on your own. Anybody ever have that happen? Just go like this. Sit and say, not me. I enjoyed my freedom all that I had. How many are you glad you had it now? Not a one. Because that kind of freedom doesn't build you as a person. All you can do is look back at the time you've lost and you've wasted. Amen? You see, the greatest freedom is obedience to God. Because when I look back, guess what? I am free from the change of my past. Now, please don't raise your hand, but how many of you got skeletons in the closet from back when you had all that freedom? And you just hoping and praying nobody opens that door and takes a look in because it's not pleasant what was in there. You see, if you will walk at liberty in His commandments, you don't have a closet full of skeletons. You don't have to look over your shoulder and hope that so-and-so that you did such-and-such to catches up with you uh, 
you're free from all of those things. Is that not the greatest freedom to have? When you stand there, tomorrow I'm going to, to meet with my aunt. She's the um, executor of a will of a family member that passed away. And, you know, funerals and things like this are just, they're just miserable things to have to put up with, aren't they? But when you're standing there and dealing with the events of someone's life that has already ended, isn't it nice not to be thinking of all the things you should have done and could have done and to be free from that so that you can enjoy being a comfort to the other family members that are there? See, this is the kind of liberty that you can have this is the liberty that the psalmist is speaking of here. He said, I will walk. He says, I'm talking about the future here. Now, if David was the writer of this psalm, I would have to say that he wrote verses 41 through 48 long before he met a young lady named Bathsheba. If he were the writer. We don't know if he were, was or not. Most people would agree that it, it would have to be David. He's our chief candidate, but this psalm is unsigned, so we just don't know. But to write these verses, I will walk at liberty. For I seek thy precepts. You know, certain religious groups make a lot of Matthew 16, 19. And they totally ignore Matthew 18, 18. In Matthew 16, 19, Jesus says, And I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And certain religions make a big deal about that. They say, see there, Peter's the first pope. He's in control of everything. But... Read chapter 18 and verse 18 when Jesus gives that same power to the entire church, all the disciples. Whatsoever ye shall bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's why we don't believe that Peter was anybody special other than a disciple of Jesus Christ. But this idea of binding and loosing a lot of people have tried to make a big deal of that. Let me tell you how it works. It's very simple. Have you ever met anybody that came to church and they got in, they started doing right, and things started changing in their lives and they started rejoicing in the Lord, and then for one reason or another they took a left turn and started doing things that weren't in the Bible. As a pastor, the hardest job I have, I, I wish I could just tap people on the shoulder with whatever it took, from a nice little pat to a baseball bat. Hey, wake up! Don't you see what you're doing to yourself? It's not going to be long before you will be so tied up you will not be able to serve Christ at all. 
That's what binding and loosing is. The psalmist says, listen, I'm going to walk. I will walk at liberty. Why? Because I am not going to engage in those things that are against the, what is laid out in this book called the Bible. I am not going to bind myself up and tie myself in knots by being disobedient to God's word. You see, I will walk at liberty. Is that cleaving to the dust and liking your face down in the way? No, it's the exact opposite now, isn't it? That's the answer. In verse 3, if you'll go back, it says, listen, they also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. This is like that future tense. Uh, we call it a perfect tense. Because uh, only perfect people do that. Of course, there are no perfect people. Yet we get here to verse 45. If I'm walking in liberty, what am I not doing? I'm not doing iniquity, am I? Amen? Agree with me there? Okay. And so how you get to verse 3 is by living verse 45. But if you want to live verse 45, you've got to pick up verses 4 through 44. Amen? And you've got to let these things be built in your life. In verse, uh, let me see what else. We've got a couple here. In verse 10, he says, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. And we talked about how that would be a prayer, especially in a young man who's looking at 30, 40, 50 years of life ahead of him. He's saying, boy, that's a long time. How many can remember back when 40 years was a long time? And now 40 years, ah, oh, uh, it's, that, that's nothing at all. And then you talk to someone who is advanced in their ages and, and up in their 70s and 80s and they're going, oh, I remember it like yesterday. I remember my great-grandmother, 95 years old, saying, Oh, I can look out that window and still see that field that was plowed out there. That field hadn't been plowed in 60 years when she said that. But she could still see it in her mind's eye. The psalmist is saying, I've sought thee with my whole heart. God, I've done everything I can don't let me wander from your way. We get down to verse 45. Doesn't that sound like that prayer's been answered? He says, I will walk at liberty. It is the deliverance from cleaving unto the dust. It is the action that if I were to ask everyone here, how many of you would like to have a life characterized by verse 45? My hand's first one up. I want to walk at liberty. Amen? I don't want to be bound up with all these things from the past. I don't want to remember and, and be tied up by wrong decisions that I have done. But verse 46, the psalmist is going to take it up one more step. Look what he says. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. Now again, the psalmist is giving action that he plans on living. 
He says, I'm going to speak of your testimonies. I'm going to speak of God's testimonies also before kings. Now, why does he put that word also in there? Because he has talked about in several different passages here, and we're not going to take time to look them all up. But he said, I'm going to tell other people. I'm going to teach other people your ways. He says, but I am going to speak of thy testimonies also before kings. Then he adds a phrase here, and will not be ashamed. Now, do you remember if, if we can just use David's life for a minute? What it meant to be shamed? How about we go to the Valley of Elah? Who remembers what happened in the Valley of Elah? You see, either Goliath or David was going to be ashamed at the end of that day. Now, Goliath didn't really feel ashamed, but he should have. Amen? If he could have felt anything after David was done what David did, don't you think nine foot six tall and ugly, a warrior from his whole life, was ashamed that a little boy, a teenager, took him out on the battlefield? I mean, come on, that's, that's what this word ashamed is talking about. David is saying, listen, I'm going to speak your testimonies before kings because I'm going to tell them how I beat them, how I won the victory that day. And somebody said, that's gloating. Oh, wait, wait a minute. What was the key to David's victory? Read what it says. Verse 47, And I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. I've had a few people over the years, they said, you know, you're just lucky. Don't tell me that. Because that's not true. It's not luck. The good things that have happened in my life have happened because of obedience to this book called the Bible. That's not luck. That's God. Amen? I'm glad God paid for this building. I really am. But that wasn't because I'm such a good fundraiser. Some people think they call me up and say, Brother Montoro, you did such a good job raising those funds for that building. I said, no, 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 though. This is the miracle on 35th Street. God does miracles, not Pete Montoro, amen. Uh, I mean, God is the one who did the miracles. Because there's no way I could convince anybody to do anything, but you know what? God can. And this is what David is saying. You see, the victory was going to be his. He was not going to be ashamed. He had confidence in the victory that God was going to give him, even though it was not in his hands at this moment, because he was moving to the next plane, for without faith it is impossible to please him. Now what is faith? Faith is simply believing God's word enough to live it. Amen? And David said, listen, I, I think I've gotten this thing, Lord. Now, let me tell you, Psalm 119 is like a roller coaster ride. We've already been down, cleaving to the dust. You wait till we get up to, to verses uh, 
81, my soul fainteth for thy salvation. Does that sound like someone who has the victory? That sounds like somebody who's scared to death. But let me ask you, have you, is your life just a continual line? Somebody said, mine is. No, let's hope it's not heading that direction, amen? God will stop that direction. But most of the time, our lives are going to be up and down and all around, and we're going to be sitting there. You know why? Because we're human beings. We're not machines. If you could every day, if I could every moment of every day just be obedient to God's Word, it would be one continual line up. But you got one problem with that. It's called you. That person you face in the mirror. Sometimes you're going to let that person win. You're going to be headed down. But if you'll repent and get back with God, He'll turn you around and head you back up. Amen? And we're going to see that up and down in this psalm. But David is finally getting a hold of one of the greatest truths that you can ever grab a hold of in the Christian life. What happens in your life can and will happen for good because of obedience to God's Word. We ignore the little things that we can do today and then cry out for help when the big things go wrong down the road. If you'll just start doing the little things that God tells you to do today, you'll be prepared for when the great big things happen. Does that mean you're going to feel wonderful? Well, stick with us as we go through Psalm 119. You're going to find out David didn't always feel wonderful. But he did get the victory, amen? And so we come here to verse 47. I think we can finish 47 and 48. He says, I will delight myself in thy commandments which I have loved. Now, I want to do this verse just a little backwards. He says, I, delight, I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. You see, this idea of delighting in God's commandments is a response. Well, I shouldn't say that. that uh, that's not the word I'm looking for. It's not a response it's a continuation of the second half of this verse. It's almost backwards. He said, listen, I have loved thy commandments. And you know what? I'm going to delight in them. Have you ever taught yourself to like something, to love something? I remember the first time my dad took me deer hunting. I was 12 years old. It was five degrees below zero. He walked me a half mile down into the woods and stuck me 20 foot in a tree in total darkness and said, I'll come back when the sun sets to get you. You got your lunch? You got your thermos? We'll see you later. You know what? I didn't like deer hunting the first time I was out. I froze. I was so cold I couldn't move when the sun came up two hours later. 
And I'm just sitting there going, oh, I'm going back to the van. And I, I found my way back to the car and it was locked. And I couldn't get in. And I was just about to try to start a fire to warm myself beside the road, which was against the law, but I didn't know it when my dad came walking along. Said, what are you doing? He said, I thought I heard you. But you know what? I like to go deer hunting now. One of the nice things is you're sitting up 20 foot up in the tree with a gun. Nobody's going to bother you. You can be alone for a little bit. Amen? But... The simple truth of the matter is, I learned to like that. Now, not all my children have learned to like that. But some of them have, and some of them, Dad, can we go? Can we go? And I'm sitting here going, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be. I don't know. But I will for their sake. Listen, you learn to love what you want to love. You teach yourself. You know, sometimes we teach ourselves to love the most horrible things. You know, I, I think they call it a codependency. Anybody familiar with that terminology? That's when you teach yourself to love pain and suffering that other people inflict in your life. And it takes an awful lot to learn to love that, but people have done an awful good job of teaching themselves. In fact, they've done such a good job of teaching themselves to love that that you can't unteach it. It's, it's sad. It's, it's tragic. But the psalmist says, listen, I've loved thy law. Therefore, I'm going to delight in thy commandments. You know, everywhere I take Jason, you know what people do? Oh, how old is he? Because newborns delight people. They just have that magnetism about them. And people want to come up and they want to hold him. And, they, and that's a good thing. I have to be careful about passing him around to too many people. He gets worn out and then he cries all night. But we, there's something wonderful. There's something passionate. There's something captivating about a newborn baby. Amen? That word delight also means to dandle, to take a little child and put him on your knees. And this is what the psalmist is trying to say. He's saying, I am enthralled. I am delighted. It's like a box with cheesecake in it at a church social. I mean, everybody looks, is that what I think it is? Is that? I mean, they're looking and they're making plans. Now, how can I make a dash for the cheesecake and not have everybody think I'm a pig in my heart. How can we do that? Now, don't tell me that doesn't go on. Everyone, including myself, we do that when the cheesecake gets set out. Now, isn't it? You can be, if you can't be honest to church, 
You can't be honest anywhere. Amen? And so we look at that and we say, how can I get over there? Now, see, I've got it real easy. Sarah, will you go get Daddy a piece of cheesecake? We delight in those things. When is the last time you've enjoyed God's Word as much as you would a piece of cheesecake? You say, I'm not there yet. Okay, uh, let's go back to the second half of that verse. Jesus said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. It says, we have loved him. 1 John chapter 4, the reference is there. We love him, why? Because he first loved us. Do you know that keeping God's law is the best thing you can possibly do with your life? Obedience to this book is the absolute greatest investment that a person can expend their life's energies doing. It sets you free. It gives you an answer to them that reproach you. I'm old enough now that family members who literally cursed me for going to Bible college. Now, I don't do this verbally. But, say, wouldn't you like to trade lives now? You cursed me for going to Bible college, literally. You said I was stupid and foolish and throwing my life away. Who's got a life now? That's the answer to him that reproacheth me. Amen? And he says, I've got that answer. And I'm going to speak of thy testimonies before kings. I'm not going to be ashamed. I actually met our former governor, Elliot Spitzer, when he was running for governor. We were in Syracuse, New York, at a preacher's meeting, and we were at a Denny's, and he stood there and held the door as nine of our children walked out. And he's counting them. One, two. And then he sees me carrying a baby walking out behind my wife, and he says, good luck, as we walked out of the... Really happened. I'll tell you what, I like my life better. I really do. I don't want to trade. I don't want any of that mess on my record. I'm free. Nobody's going to be looking me up in someone else's records. Amen? Why? Because I'm walking at liberty. I have something to answer them. You see, if I will love His commandments and just obey them now, I have confidence that they're going to be my delight. God doesn't want you to live a miserable life. I've had this talk with many people over the years, and they say, if I surrender to God's will and marry the person God wants me to, is he going to be ugly? And it's no. God will make you love the person he wants you to marry. Amen? And he will make the person he wants you to marry love you. By the way, it won't be because of you. It'll be because you've been obedient to the Word of God. Amen? amen? Peter's learning that the hard way. That's why he's saying amen so loud. Now, verse 48. 
My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. Now, you see that phrase, which I have loved, repeated in verse 47 and verse 48, and the first tendency is to just skip over it and say, oh, he's saying the same thing in verse 47. No, he's not. In verse 47, he says, I will delight myself in thy commandments which I have loved. The next verse he says, My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments which I have loved. There's no comma there. I mean, there is a comma, but the break in the action is completely different. He's saying, listen, the commandments which I have loved, I'm going to take these hands and I'm going to lift them up and I'm going to do them. I have a confidence that there's going to be an obedience to the Word of God in my life. And he says, and I will meditate in thy statutes. How many of you have ever filled your life with something? How many ever took the SAT test? Did you study for it? Did you prepare? <laughs> no, not me. But if you did study for it, what did you do? All you could talk was algebra and plain geometry and history questions and how to spell all these words that nobody's ever used and you've never looked at since then. But you filled your life with knowledge so you could take that test. We've had several people take the nursing exam. And I'll tell you what, that's all they can talk about for months. That test is coming up. I don't know. Teacher's exam. How about that one, Brother Franz? I mean, all you can do, I, I got that exam coming up. I, I don't know how I'm going to do. I'm just so steady. I got so many facts just squirting out my ears. I'm going to lose everything. We've all filled our lives with different things. How about filling your life with God's words? If you want to obey God's words, you've got to get it in you. You've got to fill it up. One old preacher, B.R. Lakin, said, listen. He said, you've got to get Mr. Cup so full that it spills over into Mr. Saucer. He said, then it fills the saucer and it runs out on the table. And he says, everybody can get some that way. That was his way of illustrating the way that we need to live. You see, most of us are so busy trying to dig down inside and get something we can give to help somebody else. You know why? Because we want to help other people. That is the normal thing to want to do. Amen? But I want to challenge you that if you are working on trying to dig down and get something you can give to somebody else, you're going to run out of things to give. And many times you will sacrifice and you will do without things that you desperately need so you can give something to someone else. And that is one of the greatest sources of destructive pride in the life of any human being. Is because you look at yourself and you say, I did without that so I could give it to them. Boy, the devil just loves to twist that one around and get us all messed up. The psalmist here says, here's a different way. 
He says, I'm going to meditate in my law. I'm going to get so full that my hands are automatically going to start lifting up and grabbing a hold and doing those things that God's commandments talk about. My life is going to be so full of the Word of God that there's going to be an abundance that I can reach out and touch other people's lives with. Now, I'm warning you, the psalmist's life isn't always going to be verses 41 through 48. But he's getting a hold of that right here. He's experiencing the first time in his life. Verses 25, it's not about me anymore. It's not just that God will work through me. It's I have a purpose and a direction in my life because God has always worked and is working and will work and I have a hope of the continuance of God's work. I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm going to be more free serving God than I've ever been serving myself. And my hands are going to obey his law because my heart's going to meditate on his statutes. Uh, my delight is going to be in his commandments because I have loved them. If you love them, you're going to obey them. And he fills this passage, this part of his life. He sums it all up in verse 41 as he goes through this set of eight verses describing the work that God's Word will do and His hope for that work by saying, Let thy mercies come also unto me, even thy salvation according to thy Word. He said, Lord, I just want your Word to be lived in my life. If you believe, that, if you believe this book, that's what you want. Amen? How are you going to get it? Well... Before you can get the Word in you, you've got to get in the Word. Amen? Before it becomes your delight, you've got to live long enough in God's Word to see the blessings that come by obeying it. Before you can answer Him that reproaches you, you've got to live this book under persecution. There's no easy way to get to verse 48. But let me tell you, once you're there, you're never going to want to go any other place. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. And Lord, let us not in our minds and in our hearts set this up as an ideal situation that we may someday get to. Well, Lord, I ask that we would pray as a church and as individuals in this church that you would do this work in our hearts and our lives. That you would give us the ability to answer those that reproach. That you would let us walk in liberty. Lord, we understand that the only reason this can be lived is because you're living in us. We ask that we would surrender those little things that seemingly are unimportant and be obedient to your word. We ask that during this invitation time, we would just simply surrender ourselves to you. That we may obey your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And we